Let's open up with a word of prayer, and then we will get right into our text tonight. Lord Jesus, we praise you. What a what a glorious day you've given us. Uh, the weather this year has just been crazy, and we're just praying, Lord, that uh, you know that you would hold off winter as long as possible. As long as as much as I love winter, I pray on the behalf of my brothers and sisters that maybe aren't as zealous for it as I am. Father, I just pray for more sun and more warmth for them uh, for as, as many days as you see fit. I praise you, Lord, tonight that we get to study your word and we get to seek after your son. Your word tells us to seek, to knock, to ask, that you are a God who is to be found. And so that's what we seek to do tonight, to find more of you, to see more of you, to understand you, and to have the, the picture of Jesus become that much more clear to us. We anxiously, in the best of ways, anxiously await you're coming to, to take us and to pick us up and to, to, to be with you forever and forever. Lord, we thank you that uh, you love us, that you have done so much to, uh, you have done not just so much, but you've done everything needed to reconcile us to you. Thank you tonight that by the grace of, of your son Jesus, by his blood being shed on the cross, that we have been connected back to you. We give you the praise, the honor, and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we began studying love, and love as it pertains to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be kind of stationed in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The end of that, chapter 13, uh, verse 13 says, "Now, uh, So now faith, hope, and love abide, uh, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And so we see that love... Uh, connects faith and hope um, faith and hope without love uh, is, is useless you know having faith but not having love is an empty faith and having um, hope without love is an empty hope we must have love in order for faith and hope to be um, not just biblical but God pleasing and so if you're in the business of pleasing God and wanting to know what he expects and, and wanting to to perform according to his standards well then here we go. This is how we are going to love. But love is one of those things that is um, uh, so often it is miscommunicated. And, and not only that, like I might say love and you might think of something else. You might not think of the same word that I'm thinking. So let's say I'm talking about a parental love and, uh, and, and I'm being vague and contextual. You may not know what I'm talking about. Maybe you think I'm talking about uh, people in church or love for humanity. We have to uh, be clear what kind of love we are um, talking about. And so as we determined last week, the love that Paul is talking about in chapter 13 is this agape love. So agape love is different than, um, say, a romantic love or a brotherly love. And honestly, I like to look at it like this, and I think the, biblical, the, the Bible kind of portrays love like this. This agape love is like an umbrella, and all other forms of love kind of come underneath that term. Um, agape is, is almost exclusively uh, a Christian word. It was a word that was created by the apostles and the disciples and by Jesus to fully portray the love that God has for us. Um, and last week I described, you know, hurt, you know, hurting yourself so badly, you you create your own language, you create your own word because there's no uh, a, you're not going to swear, and b, you, you gotta, oh, you gotta vent that frustration somehow. So you just gotta find a word that helps you convey that. Well, this agape was a created word to help convey how we are loved by God our Father, and so agape love uh, 
praise God, he lays it out for us pretty simply. Of all the topics of all the Bible, um, agape love is actually pretty easy to define and to study. And what I want you to do uh, over the next couple of weeks is to learn not only what agape love means, what it's not, and we'll kind of focus on that tonight, um, but to see how, by, uh, how to study your Bible to properly exegete or study the Word of God. There are two ways that humans look at the Word of God. Uh, or actually, there's three. One is to disregard it. That's one. Uh, number two is what we call eisegesis. So uh, maybe you've heard recently how um, Christians are, quote-unquote, using the Bible to discriminate against homosexuality. And that men like Hitler, uh, and, and during the time of civil rights in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, um, during the time of owning slaves in the uh, uh, you know before the 19th century and that sort of thing, men used the Bible, the same verses, to justify those awful things. And so isn't that sort of the same thing? Well, what these men have done, we all know that they're A, wrong. Well, what they've done is they've taken uh, the Word of God and they have performed eisegesis. That is, they have gone with their own idea and then said, okay, I have this idea. And I want it to be backed up by the Word of God. So I go to the Word, I chop and cut and paste, and I make it say what I want it to say. Because um, people on the fringe, they may not read the Word of God, they may not even uh, follow it, but they'll revere it. And so if I come in and say something like slavery is a legitimate thing based on the Word of God, and you're ignorant to the Word of God, you're going to say, well, it's the, the Word of God. I'm, I, that must be the way that it is. And, and that man or that person has justified this horrific thing. That's eisegesis, and you can do that with anything. You know, you could say that, that uh, meat is wrong, or, that only, or, or not eating meat is wrong. You could say that uh, women should be uh, you know, lesser than man. You could say that women could be more than man. If you go in with an agenda... And go into the Word of God, you're going in backwards. You are uh, doing a disservice to the Word, and you're not preaching the truth. Exegesis is the opposite of that. You're starting with the Word. You're starting with the concepts of God. You're starting here and allowing yourself to be changed. Your only agenda is what does the Word of God say? And what does the Word of God say contextually? So um, we read the Scripture in First John, God is love. We've got to read that in context. What does that mean? Does that mean God approves all love? Does that mean that that um, God is romantic love? Or does that mean that God is uh, uh, philanthropic love? Does that mean he's he, – what does that mean? Uh, we talked about that last week. God is uh, this agape love. And so um, we are going to use that uh, idea of exegesis or that, uh, that principle of exegesis to study what love means. And – Chapter 13 of First Corinthians is really good, uh, a really good starter place for that. So turn to First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. As you're turning to First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, this week we're going to look at what agape love is not. Because in this chapter, Paul will describe what love is not. Next week, we're going to talk about what agape love is is but we're going to break that up into two parts because honestly having 30 35 minutes to describe these things or to teach these things is just not enough time so next week we will begin what agape love is and continue that into the next week first corinthians chapter 13 verse 1 says this 
If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So the Bible tells us to earnestly seek the, the spiritual gifts of God. Things like speaking in tongues, prophetic words, or, or being able to preach prophetically. Um, encouragement, faith, um, you name it, the, the gifts that are there, the Bible tells us to, to earnestly seek those. It's a good thing to want those gifts. We should desire them. We should want them. Our desire and our want will not be equal to or will not mean that we will automatically get them. So you can desire to speak in tongues all day and you may never speak in tongues. And that's okay. You'll receive another gift, whatever God wants to give you. But Paul says, look, if you have that gift and you don't have love, you've wasted that gift. If you can speak in tongues at the drop of a hat, but you don't have love for somebody, he says you're like a clanging gong or cymbal. Now, if you, if you can preach prophetically or God uses you to share a word of knowledge or prophecy, but you don't love people, well, then you've wasted that gift. I read a horrible story yesterday from a magazine called Charisma Magazine. And it was all about this man who uh, had this gift of prophecy, so-called, but without you donating to his cause, he would not uh, give that word to you. Now, I don't know who this man is. I'm not trying to throw him under the bus. That's why I'm not sharing his name. Um, doesn't matter that he would do something so foul. The Lord has a word for you, but until you insert money into the vending machine, you don't get that word. That's not love. That is, uh, gosh, that's evil. It's wrong. And, uh, you know, that man will have to give an account for that waste of that gift. Without love, the gifts are wasted. Um, so we want to make sure that we love. And so our first question has to be, well, what kind of love? What, what is this love that Paul is speaking of? What kind of love? And so continue in verse 4 through 7. We're going to read what love is and what love is not. And here's one mistake that people commonly make. They'll use this next section of scripture to describe romantic love. And you'll, so you'll see it on uh, wedding invitations, and you'll see it on um, uh, stuff at the Bible bookstore to kind of convey love between a man and a woman. And it's not that it's not about that. That's just limiting. That's one facet of what this love is. It's just not all-encompassing. This love that we're talking about is the agape love, this love feast, this pouring out love upon you, not only do you not deserve it, you deserve hell, but yet you get this agape love from God. Verse 4 says this, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. We're going to stop right there. So we're going to start off with the negative. Um, so much of what we do can be defined on what we are not to do or what something is not. Uh, for me, I, I like that. I personally am not somebody who is inherently uh, or, or by nature rebellious. Um, anytime that I am uh, per perceived as being rebellious, nine times out of ten, it's because I didn't know that that was considered rebellious. 
you know, so the first time I, you know, some folks don't like to have you wear a hat in church. When I was in California, I was at a church and, and I wore a hat to church. I didn't really know that that was in their church like a thing. And someone came up and ripped the hat off my head. I wasn't trying to be rebellious. I wasn't trying to say, hey, I'll wear a hat wherever I want. If I had known, I'd have taken off my hat in reverence. I wouldn't have agreed with it, but I would have respected the house rules and said, okay, take my hat off. You know, um, Being rebellious sometimes can be unloving. We have to be careful that a rebellious spirit doesn't go before us, meaning um, we're not just known for rebellion. That's not really what Christians are called to do. What we do might be seen as rebellious, but that's because we're following Jesus. We're not rebellious for the sake of rebellion. That being said, um, knowing what not to do or knowing what something doesn't look like is, is something that God does throughout his word. He shows us what things are not. Okay, So that, so that we, A, don't have wiggle room. You know, If you've ever argued with a child or a, a grown-up child and they start um, arguing, well, what about this? Well, what about that? Well, what about this? And it's like, well, okay, so God kind of tries to take care of both of those. Not just what love is, but what love is not. So the first thing that love is not, the Bible says, is envious. Love does not envy. Now, what does that mean? It basically means that we as Christians, if we are filled with the love of God, this agape love, we don't look upon our brothers or sisters or the world and covet what they want. Covetousness is a form of idolatry, and idolatry and covetousness uh, pretty much covered in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet, right? It's basically looking at everybody else and always wondering why they have all the good stuff and we've got nothing. When that could be the furthest thing from the truth. Just earlier today, my, my son was trying to determine how do you know when you're rich? You know, there's a big contest on Amazon.com today where you can win $25,000. He's like, Dad, you should win that. Like, I have a choice. Like, I just call Amazon.com and say, give me a check. Um... Like, well, son, it doesn't work like that. He, well, if we have $25,000, we'll be rich. Now, to a 7-year-old or an 8-year-old, yes, that's a lot of cash. Looking around the room, that doesn't get us very far, does it? You start factoring in gas and car payments and, 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 and taxes. Poor kid doesn't even know about taxes. That's not going to amount to a lot of money. Sure, would you take it? Absolutely. Nobody's going to sneeze at $25,000. But we know as adults that $25,000... Um, it's not going to last you very long when you have responsibilities and payments. Um, always looking at everybody else and seeing and then measuring yourself to them like, I have this and they have that. That's not fair. That's not right. I'm a good person. They're not even a good person. Why do they get all this stuff? This is covetousness. This is idolatry. This is envy. And it's proof that if these are the, the, the true, if this is your true nature, you don't have love. Love, if you do have love, it's skewed or tainted or crooked. And so we have to go to the Lord. We have to repent of these things. Lord, forgive me. Now, now all of us, all of us, myself included, do this from time to time. We look at somebody else. We look at what they have. We measure their life against our life. We think, what gives? You know, we look at men who we know are wicked and corrupt, yet they sit in luxury. And we think, man, I've worked hard for every dime I've ever earned. Why do they get this and I don't? Now, it may in fact not be fair, but it's still covetousness. And so we have to be careful. Love is not envious. We don't desire out of jealousy. Now, is it wrong to want good things? No. No, it's not wrong to want good things. If you want to have a nice car, that's 
awesome. If you want to have a nice house, praise the Lord. I hope you one day have a nice house if you don't already have one. Having a nice marriage or, or, or just anything that you think you might desire or want. There's nothing wrong with that until it turns into covetousness. Yeah, I want a nice car because they have a nice car. Now you cross the line. I want a nice marriage because that will fill that will fulfill me. No, we're meant to be fulfilled in Christ before we ever get married. Well, I want a good job because they have a good job and they always go on vacation. Really? Well, do you have the ability to save up and and, and to go without uh, during the rest of the year so that you can save up for that vacation? Did they really have fun on that vacation? How many of you guys have ever been on a vacation? It wasn't that vacation. Like you got there and you got sick or someone got hurt or wasn't everything it was promoted to be and you're like this isn't very fun you know it's just kind of not a waste of time it's still time off from work and things but still when it's out there it's like oh they have everything and i have nothing that's envy that's covetousness that's idolatry and ultimately it's sin not love verse four goes on to say that love does not envy or boast boast is number two Boasting, we are told to boast in the Lord, right? We're told to, if we're going to brag about something, brag about what Jesus has done. He died on the cross for, for dirty sinners like us so that we might be made clean, so that we might be forgiven of our sins. Praise God, hallelujah, all that stuff. But, but outside of that, we are told that bragging and boasting is not good. Have you ever been around somebody who just can't stop bragging about all the stuff they have? Now, unless unless you're that person, everybody else thinks that's not very good. <laughs> Nobody likes to be around that person that long because we get tired of hearing about how great you are. You know, I don't politicians and and athletes who just constantly I I am the greatest, I'm the best. I don't care what you say I care what you do love is not boastful meaning love does not say hey it's I'm so great for loving you it's not love that's just another form of self-worship and causing others to worship you look how great I am it takes the attention off of Christ and puts it back on you so so one of the things that I always do or I try to do here at the church is when someone is nice to me I don't go parade it all around town. Not because I don't want people to be uh, recognized for doing something good, but the Bible's really clear. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Let your giving be done in secret, all of that stuff. And I don't want to ruin that for anybody. You know, if you want to give in secret, I'm going to keep that in secret. Not because it's wrong, not because it's crooked, but because you don't want to be boastful of yourself. You know what God has done. You know what you were supposed to do. You did it, and your reward is in him. That's what the Bible tells us. Our reward's in him. And if our, if our only giving, the only reason why we give is to be seen by men, Jesus said that when the Pharisees did that, they already had their reward. The men exalted them, and that's what they wanted, and that's what they got. What a cheap reward. What a cheap reward, right? To just have guys be like, yeah, you're good. And then a week later, forget you ever did anything. What a cheap reward. So love does not boast or exalt itself over somebody else. I said a moment ago that um, this is not primarily meant uh, for romantic love, meaning the love between a husband and a wife, 
Um, however, these, uh, these commands and this description of what love is absolutely will help you as a husband or a wife to love your spouse better. If you're in the habit of boasting and exalting yourself and your needs over your spouse's, you can know, oh, I'm not being very loving towards them. I'm not, I'm not giving them love simply because of who they are and, and that I love them. I'm loving them in how they, because they fulfill me and they, they fulfill a need in me. That's not love. That's just another form of boasting and covetousness. Number three, also in verse four, says that love is not arrogant. Just like boastfulness, arrogant is just pride. Being puffed up. Now, anybody here bake? You ever bake with uh with yeast, make bread? You know, you start with this 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 these ingredients, throw some yeast in there. What happens? It starts to grow. But why is it growing? It's growing because air's being it's it, it's this chemical reaction. Air is is popping out in bubbles. I don't know the exact. Go watch an Alton Brown episode about bread, and you'll realize what actually is happening. But Honestly, you bake it, and what do you have? All these little air bubbles within the bread. It makes bread good, but it doesn't make people good. We are called to be unleavened bread, or like unleavened bread. Nothing that falsely puffs us up. And if we have to brag and have pride and boast about who we are, we're probably lying. We're probably just putting on a show so people don't really see what's behind that that we're projecting. That, that, that which we're putting out there. Love is not envious, it does not boast, and it is not arrogant. Number four is found in verse five. Love is not rude. The word in the King James I kind of like better. I think it's unseemly. I could be wrong. Who's got a King James? Yeah, does it say unseemly? Unseemly. What does that mean? Well, rudeness is hard to describe. Because we know in some cultures, like our own, uh, things like belching, very rude, right? We consider it rude. Um, not just a little, excuse me, <laughs> a little giggle. We're talking about Barney Gumble of the Simpsons just brrr, belching. We just go, whoa, that guy is so uncouth. Like, that guy is not cool. We just assume it's a guy. Woman would never do that. But in some cultures, this would be a sign of enjoying your meal. This would be a sign of of <laughs> of saying thank you, or at least this is what my second grade teacher taught me, um, that it's okay and encouraged to do such a thing. It's a sign that you've enjoyed your meal and whatnot. whatnot. So rudeness can be somewhat uh, relational or uh, relative uh, to your culture. And so we've got to be very careful uh, to not, you know, um, simply call something rude because we don't understand it. If we don't understand something in a culture or in a people, it, it would be in our best interest to figure that out first before we label it. Somebody stabs you in the eye, pretty rude. Cross the board. There isn't really too many cultures where you get stabbed in the eye and they say, well, that was a term of endearment or a, term of a, a, a form of affection. No, bad all the way across the board. But if you don't understand something, then just look into it. We have Google. You can look it up. Wikipedia isn't always wrong. Sometimes things are right on. Rude, unbecomingly. Okay, so this means that we're rude for the only purpose of being rude. We are, we are coarse, and that is not love. I, uh, I really wish that the Bible told us that that 
they will know we are Christians by our sarcasm. Because I really love being sarcastic. It's a lot of fun. It makes people laugh. Uh, most of the time it's pointed in on me. Uh, but there are times if I get more than two or three men around, um, we find ourselves being sarcastic towards one another and our, and our shortcomings and that sort of thing. Um, rudeness can be that. Not every guy I've ever met can take that type of sarcasm and, and not take it to heart. There are some that it taps into something from their childhood or from their school years that shuts them down, causes anger and bitterness to arise. And in that case, I'm being very rude to them. I have friends that if you saw us, you would think they don't like each other. But we're just making fun of each other and we just know each other. And so we're being sarcastic back and forth, but for other people, they don't understand. And so the Bible's pretty clear that there are times where we have to set those things aside that for us may not be sin, for us might not be wrong, but for others it might be. It might cause them to stumble. So we're going to go ahead and, and set those aside to make sure that we don't cause our brother or sister to, to falter, to fall. So love is not rude. Number uh, Verse 5, it does not insist on its own way. Um. Going back to to marriages, most marriages uh, start to bog down when when that stage of the marriage wears off, the early honeymoon phase they call it, because at that point you're just doing everything for each other, right? It doesn't even matter. You're, you're just so enamored, you're so in love, and it's just I'll, I'll just I'll do anything for you, and without a question, you know, guys, we're putting our clothes in the hamper and we're not even being told twice, like we are on fire but then then time goes on and our needs become exalted over the needs of the other and nine times out of ten that's where um that's where marriages begin to deteriorate and crumble but not just marriages friendships are like that as well parents who put themselves above their children or children who put themselves above their parents those relationships become very unhealthy and paul tells us that this this agape love that we are to have that that without ruins all of our gifts or wastes all our gifts this is not insistent upon our own way now it doesn't mean that we won't get our own way sometimes sometimes we choose god's way and we choose god's way so we get our own way right i want to do what god wants to do god wants to go left all right we're going left go we're all going in the same direction but there are going to be times where we are going to have to put somebody else's needs before ours whether it's our children whether it's our, our spouses, our friends, our church, what have you. Because that's what love does. Love doesn't always do what everybody else wants. It just doesn't insist that their way is the only way. As Christians, we, Jesus is the only way to the Father. Those are his words. So the Bible confirms the only way to the Father is through Jesus and his sacrifice and what he has done. We cannot deviate on that. If a Christian came to me or a pastor came to me and said, Pastor Tony, I believe that Jesus is God, but there are many paths to God, I would have to say, sir, I disagree with you. And I don't care how many books you've written and I don't care how much of how big of a congregation you have. You preach uh, untruth. You preach falsehood. And let's talk about this. Let's discuss this. But, but that is the Bible insisting upon its own way. That's not me saying it's that way because I say. It's, it's me saying I say it's that way because that's what the Bible tells me. 
And so I can disagree with it, but that doesn't change the truth. Um, we can't deviate on those truths. However, when we as Christians get so caught up in secondary issues that we divide, we end up not being very loving because we insist upon our own way. Like the hat issue I mentioned earlier. You know, folks come in here with hats. You know what? I could insist they take off their hat, or I could let them sit and hear the gospel of Jesus. Because to me, the hat's not important. I don't care about the hat. I don't have to insist upon my own way so that everything goes according to my plan. Now, if somebody came in and tried to stand next to me and teach a, a, a competitive sermon, uninvited, trying to take all the attention, well, then we would, I would have to insist upon my own way. I'd have to say this is one of the times where I get to go have my own way, and you can sit down or go back home. Love does not insist upon its own way. Because love says, you know what? I could be wrong. There are so many times, and my wife and I do this both, I'll say something, and she'll say, no, it was this way. And, I, and, I, and I'll insist, no, it was this way. And then I'll find out she was right. That's fun, right? And you have to say, and now my wife is super awesome, so she's not like, told you so. She's just like, yeah, I know. And she wasn't argumentative, and I wasn't argumentative, but, but at some point somebody's got to be like, man, I was wrong. Love does not insist upon its own way. Love is big enough to say, you know what, I could be wrong. I, I feel like I'm right. I think I'm remembering this correctly. I think what I want is best, but I'm going to go ahead and say, maybe we'll try your, time, your way this time. Love does not insist upon its own way. Number six in verse five, love is not irritable. Love is not irritable. Um, I get irritable. Anybody here get irritable? Yeah, thank you, Pete. Thank you for that honesty. You get a gold star today. Uh, the rest of you are all liars. And oh, oh thank you. Thank you for being so big, Richard. Uh, <laughs> irritable. So this, okay. If you wake up, at 4 o'clock in the morning, to a child that is puking, projectile vomiting, sorry TMI, but just project, projectile vomiting, um, and another child who's now screaming because the other one's projectile vomiting, and uh, you deal with that most of the night, and then you only get like two hours of sleep, and then you wake up, and then you go to work, and somebody says, you know what, you've got to do this thing over again, and you just snap and say, I've had it with today. Is that bad? It can be bad. The key here is not that you would never get irritable. If you're loving, you'll never get irritable. That's just not going to happen because life leads us to irritability. Sometimes we get irritated for foolish reasons. Sometimes we just drink too much coffee. We're sitting there shaking. Somebody's like, hey, how are you doing? What do you mean by that? Give me more coffee. Like, or maybe it's a lack of coffee. I haven't had my coffee yet. Don't talk to me. I'm irritated. These are foolish. Life will lead us to irritability. And if we become irritable, praise God that we can repent, go back to whoever we might hurt. Um, and it doesn't say it doesn't mean that that's okay. Uh, if we're irritable, we can you know pause and say, you know what, I'm having a hard time right now. Let me let me take a few moments before we engage or before we talk about this thing, and let's just take a few moments. That's love saying, I don't want to be irritable towards you. I value you so much that I would rather just forewarn you and say, give me just a few moments. 
let me have some time. Let me work out a few things. Because nine times out of ten, when we are irritable, it's just because of uh, usually something physical, not eating enough. You know, have you ever just been so hungry you get angry? Like it's just too late. I need food now. And, and, and the guy at Taco Bell takes an extra 30 seconds and you just want to rip his face off. My, I, the, the nervous giggles tell me that I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. If, now, if we're in those moments, we have to pray. Jesus, I want to rip off this guy's face, but I know I shouldn't. I know you're not big on ripping off people's faces. Please help me to hold it together. Because then you eat and it's like, what, everything's fine? Like I, wanted to, I wanted to kill that person, but now they're great. I don't even know that guy. Being irritable will happen. It's how we respond to that. It's how we react in that. And so we can be proactive if we are feeling irritable. We can go to our spouse, our children, whomever, and just say, you know what? I'm having a hard time right now. Please just give me a few moments. Without, you know, saying things like, you're the reason why I'm irritable. Give me a few minutes. Very different, right? It's not really saying the same thing at that point. The key here, and it's a word that's missed in the ESV, I believe it's in the New, in the King James, it's easily irritable. Some folks just get irritated at the drop of a hat. Some people, some people, you go, you go to, you know, you go to the Walmart. And God bless the people that work at Walmart, because sometimes they have to deal with stuff for minimum wage, and that's just not worth it. Um, but you know, you get a guy who's been on an eight-hour shift, or maybe it's Black Friday. You ever see those poor people work on Black Friday? My goodness. I don't know how they do it. And they're irritated, and you sit back and go, you know what? I understand that. You know, it's just been a long day for them. But but you get the guy that's just coming in with their little cashier tray, and they're already irritated? Like, what's going on? Oh, I'm just having a horrible day. Yeah, when did you start working? I just got here. Okay, well, why are you so ir- easily irritated? You know, folks who wake up irritated. People who, who things just don't go their own way, and they're irritated. You know, an emergency happens and it interrupts your television program you're like i can't believe this is happening to me like they have to notify me that somebody's dying on the highway on tv oh i'm the victim here not even considering somebody's dying on the side of the road but you know jeopardy just got interrupted that doesn't make any sense that's easily irritated i'm one of these guys that can get very easily irritated when i'm doing something uh like building something like um, if I'm trying to put together like a shelf or something you have to put together from the store and it's just not going right, and then somebody can come in and be like, how are you doing? I will snap their neck because I just want to figure this out. It's frustrating me. It says there's an L shape. All I got is a bunch of sevens, and I just can't figure this out. That's a joke. It, you'll, you'll figure it out later. Um, Why? And just, argh, just don't bother me. That's wrong. That's easily irritated. That's not love. That's the opposite of love. Number five or number seven, resentful. The King James says, "Thinketh no evil." Love pursues that which is of God. God is anti-evil. He is the opposite of evil. He is complete, absolute good. Resentful. The word translated here, like I said, is is. I just got to look back down there. Thinketh no evil. Philippians 4 and 8 says this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. 
If there's any excellent, if there excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. How many people here like conspiracy theories? I don't. I don't. And last night I was in bed. I had my phone, and and on Twitter there was this guy, and he had he started following me, and I'm like, oh, who is this guy? I don't know who he is. And it was all about conspiracy theories, and I was like, two o'clock in the morning, aliens and this and that, and it's like. Why am I reading this at 2 o'clock in the morning? Like, there's stuff about Kennedy and stuff about presidents. Like, oh, is the NSA watching me? Like, what is happening? And, uh, you know, I was I was just not following Philippians 4 and 8. I was looking into everything wrong and that causes suspicion, that causes uh, fear. And the Bible says that if there are things that you can put your focus on the good things the noble things the trustworthy things the things that are worthy of praise those things that are lovely and commendable those are the things that should occupy our mind it's not that all conspiracy theories are wrong or even bad it's that those things are not lovely or worthy of praise and so honestly i don't have time to look at those things or to to spend my time in that lastly number eight for tonight Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. This one is probably the hardest sell of agape love in our modern culture. Because our modern culture, our day and age, says that if you want to do it and it makes you happy, then it is good. Unfortunately, humans want things that are not good because we are inherently evil. Now, some of us want family, but sometimes we want family for the wrong reason. because For selfish reasons. We have to continuously, as Christians, check our motives. Why do I want this? Why do I? You know, I said earlier, it's not, it's okay to want a big house, but why do we want a big house? Do we want to have a lot of kids? Or do we want to show off to our friends? You want to have a nice car? That's great. Is it because you want reliable transportation? Or because when people, you want people to see you when you drive down the street and be in awe of you and, and realize that you have achieved much through this big token of, of opulence? What What is motivating us? I want to be part of a church family. Why? Well, because I want people just to love me. Well, do you want to love them back? No, I'm here for me. you got to check your motives. That's not a pure motive. You will get that in church as you give yourself, as you lay down your life and become a part of the church body. Love never delights in sin. We forgive sin. We even forgive sin sometimes when people aren't asking for forgiveness. Often people will sin against us and we'll have to forgive them first before they ever come and ask for forgiveness. But we never approve of the sin. So if somebody uh, commits adultery, let's say somebody comes in and I've got to counsel them and, and one has been adulterous towards the other spouse, we are never ever okay with the sin of adultery. However, we are seeking reconciliation, forgiveness, and love. And, there, and there's all of that on top of covering sin. The Bible tells us that love covers a multitude of sin. doesn't approve it. doesn't make allowance for it. And love never looks at sin and says, you know what? That's a good idea. That's okay. You think it's okay? Then it must be okay. The, the only compass here morally is your heart. If you're okay with it, and that's okay. But what if their moral compass, their heart, desires something that's bad for the rest of us? What 
What if their desire is to rip us off? It wouldn't be the first church setting where, where somebody came in and did something like that. And so love calls out sin. And we can do so, you know, in love. You know, if we got Joe Schmo sitting in the corner here and he confides in me, Pastor Tony, I have, you know, I have been having adulterous thoughts. Uh, I'm married and blah, blah, blah. Then I can say, you know what, that's that's wrong, Joe. Um, And you need to repent of that. And God, God will forgive you of that. And God loves you still, even in, in your sinful nature, but he wants to change you as well. And when I think about your sin, it reminds me of my own sin. And I don't revel in my own sin. I don't, I'm not proud of my sin. I don't like that I have sinned. I wish I could call the Bible a liar when it tells me that everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. I wish I could say, no, I think I'm doing okay, but I know that's not true. We do not rejoice in sin. We know that God forgives it. We know that God loves you in spite of it. But we also know that he's not cool with it. And he seeks for us to be holy. But this thing caused me, causes me happiness. I just believe that God wants you to be holy more than he wants you to be happy. I believe that if he makes you holy, you will inherently be happy because of the holiness. But, but your happiness is not his primary goal. His joy, the joy of his son, that's primary than reconciling us. That's, that's also included in that. But, but only pleasing us is not necessarily God's biggest item on his day-to-day -day agenda. So love never delights in sin. This is why Christians often for the right reasons but in the wrong way protest we we get we become part of the moral right we become part of uh, of of some conservative group and and we we are rightfully um condemning sin but then in and of ourselves sometimes committing sin ourselves by by being hateful by being hurtful by not offering the other hand of this that God loves people that God has died for people that Jesus has come as a person to die for the very people he loves so it's okay to call out sin as long as that's not all you're doing as long as you're also saying and God loves you before you ever loved God God loved you while you were still sinners Christ died for you the Bible says and so we just have to have both we have to have both barrels of the gun it's gotta be Yes, you're a sinner, but Jesus loves you. Give your life to him. Be forgiven of your sin. Paul tells us that this agape love, these attributes are not part of it. And so if we see that as a, as a part of, or an element in our love, then we have, to, we have to follow that check of the Holy Spirit and say, okay, that's not from love. I'm insisting upon my own way. I was being rude there. I was being unseemly or unbecomely. I was... Uh, I was uh, I was rejoicing in sin there. And so what do you do in that moment? Well, you just repent. You go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry. And you're honest and say, Lord, I, I, I'm probably going to do that again. Not because we got to get out of jail free card. We're just going to be realistic and say, God, we, I need you. I need you to change me so that these things don't happen again. I know myself enough that, that I need something other than my power to get this done. And praise God that, that our God that we serve is so big 
so awesome, so loving, so kind, that he offers us the power to do what he says, to do what he commands. I think that's great. I think it's great that it's not allowed to us. I think it's great that, that he will help us when our love is not full like his. And also he's given us a model. He's given us, given us Jesus. I um, We are called to lay down our life. That was our first verse. Uh, I didn't share it this week, but Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 16, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And one of the things that always uh, bothered me about the Gospels, kind of for the first time, just this, this earlier today, uh, kind of came, it kind of got resolved. Um, when I have a something in the Bible that I don't understand, I, I don't throw up my arms and give up. I, I, I have this this pegboard in my head, and I'll just pin it there. Okay, that's that's for a later time. That's that, that's not today, but soon or later, sooner or later, I'm going to figure out what that means. The thing that I had on the pegboard for the longest time was Jesus carrying his cross to the, the hill of Golgotha and Simon of Cyrene helping him carry his cross. And I thought, wait a minute, Jesus has told us to carry our own cross, but yet he allowed another man to help him. I thought, well, I can't blame him, first of all. He got beat to shreds. He just got the tar just wailed out of him. And so obviously needing some help is an actual thing in that moment. I don't doubt him for that. But what I began to understand as I was pondering these things today was that this was an image and a glimpse of the church. See, church, we're called to carry our own cross, and we're going to do that. But as we come together as the church, we're going to help each other. We're going to help each other carry these crosses. We're going to sort of link up together like this as we carry that cross. We're going to link up together and help each other as we carry our crosses. So so if, if you are just nailing cross-carrying one day and I'm not, then you can come alongside me. Help me carry my cross too. Not because it's your cross to bear, but because you're part of this family and community. And vice versa. And, 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 and we can all do that for one another because at some point we're going to be here and somebody's going to be up there and we're going to have to help one another. It's one of the beauties of of church in general. But the reason that I'll close with that we are that I am teaching so much about love as opposed to faith and hope is this. Uh, turn to John chapter 13. Thirteen verse thirty one. This is the thick of Jesus teaching his disciples about him going to be with the Father, about to be crucified. Um, he has gone from calling them uh, disciples to calling them friends. Uh, they are going to you know, shortly become the apostles and go out and start churches. But right now, it's right before the crucifixion. Jesus is just, he's unloading on them. Verse 31 says, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is, the son, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I have said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, 
if you have love for one another. There are people who are really love, good at loving God and really bad at loving others. And, the, and Jesus tells his disciples, not that loving God is second or different, not that loving God is irrelevant, but the way that the world will know that we are loved by God is how we will love one another. And this word for love is that same word, agape. That as we love each other, we will show the love of Christ to the world. Some folks are really, they want to prove, I love God. The best way you can do that is by loving your brothers and sisters in Christ first. Now, we need a lot of work at that, don't we? It's not, it's not something that comes right to us because we're all so different. Different ages, different backgrounds, different sin, different things that move us about God. The things that, that put me in awe of God for you might just be like a yawn. I'm like, yeah, okay. But for you, it's something else. You know, maybe for you, you know, nerding out on your Bible and studying the Greek and the Hebrew and, and, and different, uh, the verbs and the adjectives and just, and, and the history of the Bible, maybe that's not for you. Maybe it's just, just the love that you see between uh, Jesus and Mary Magdalene as she washes his feet with her tears. And you're just like, oh, that's what moves me, that emotional experience. You know, for me, that doesn't do much for me. For me, you know, preaching and teaching the Word of God, that's, gosh, that's all I want to do. For some, it's like, I don't even want to get up there. My gosh, it doesn't do anything for me. Um, we have to be, if we're going to master anything, if we're going to prove our love for God, then we are going to show love towards others as we have been loved by Christ. And that is how we show the world that we uh, have this genuine love. You know, when the world points at us and says, you know, you don't seem very loving um, towards one another, let alone towards the rest of the world. You know, we're not called to love the world. We're just called to love each other. That, that's, that's, a, that's a bad thing. We should be able to hold that testimony. People should be able to say, you know what, I don't agree with you, but man, you guys just seem to really love each other. Richard, you look like you really love Laura and Wally and Pete and Terry. And, and vice versa, I'm going back and forth. And that's the thing that we want to have at the forefront of my, our minds. That's why we come to church. Some people are like, I don't have to go to church to be part of the church. You know, it doesn't make any, a lot of sense to me. It's like, I don't have to go to the YMCA to be a part of the YMCA. Really? But you, you do have to go sign up and go there at some point or you're not really going there you're not really a part of that you might have the cool little card but you don't you're not really a part of that and you might be a christian but if you're not a part of god's community then you're missing out and you're and you're not following this new command that jesus has given us and so let's just level with every we're, we're not doing this let's but let's pray to god so that we can do this if he wants us to do it, I believe that he will do more than we will to get this done. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we all we all fail, Lord. You know, if you came in tonight and took a test, a real test, and we were really honest, we would all fail at loving one another. You know, our love would be look more like the negative list than the positive list of what this agape love is. 
Lord, there are times where we hold back or we insist upon our own way or, or we're rude or, or we're boastful, arrogant, Lord. You know, we're just, we're not, maybe not all of these things, but every now and again, one of these things creeps in and we don't love each other enough. And, and I think our heart's goal is to reach our community. But I know we won't do that if we're not loving one another. You gave this very simple command to, to love each other as we have been loved by you. And that through that, the world will see that we are your followers, that we are believers in you. Without ever speaking a word, just, just having an agape love for one another will testify to the world as to who our God is. Well, Jesus, we repent and we need your help for this. Because we are quick to be irritable. Now we do, we do unfortunately rejoice in sin from time to time. We're not perfect, Lord. But I thank you that you are perfecting us. I thank you that, that though we still fall short, that you're a God who hit the mark perfectly. That your son came to this earth, died on a cross perfectly so that we might be forgiven. That we might live and rule and reign through him. That the powers and principalities that come against us, Lord, are defeated in your son Jesus. That we are victorious not because of our own uh, accomplishments. We are victorious because of what you have accomplished. So, Lord, continue to change our hearts, change our minds, reshape us, remold us, fix us, make us uh, brand new, as, as Romans 12 says. Transform us, renew our minds, so that we may love as you have loved us. And when we fall short, Lord, may we be so humble as to, as to repent quickly and thoroughly to get back up, to follow after you again. And may we win souls into the kingdom through your Holy Spirit. And Jesus, may you receive all of the glory. In your name we pray. Amen.